All right. Good morning. So before we get started, we're going to have a little bit of, or a lot of bit. I don't know. We're going to pray for for Tucker. He has. I'm going to see if I can get this correct. He has 95% blockage in his adenoids and tonsils, or they're removing the adenoids and tonsils. Let's let's just say that. Okay. He has. I'm sorry, Jane. I'm trying. Uh, they're going to remove on Wednesday his adenoids and tonsils. So we're just going to pray and believe that that's a perfect situation that goes wonderfully. And uh, Father, we thank you that you're a God we've talked about over the last several weeks, uh, that your kingdom matters for us here and now, that the reality that your kingdom has brought near, has been brought near to us actually has implications for us in our lives. And Lord, we thank you ahead of time for, Lord, um, not presumptuously, but because we just we trust you uh, for complete and complete and total healing in Tucker's body, Father, that that everything will go exceptionally well. Uh, the doctors, everyone will just step step back and go, "Wow, this was just beautiful, Lord." And then that blockage can be removed; that he can just uh, be a, a, a continue to just be an amazing young man who just goes and runs and plays and just has 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 an awesome childhood, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so from one John to another John, uh, uh, sorry that I missed, well, sad that I missed uh, listening to John's message, but I'm not going to miss it because we are on Apple Podcasts, if anyone wants to know. I haven't got a chance to listen to it yet, but for those who don't know, we do record all the podcasts. Uh, This month is a month that we want to spend focused on prayer and fasting. And we will be sending out, has Greg done it yet? I can't, I don't, not that I'm aware of. Be sending out, a, okay, a sheet. Because we just had fall break, and still some people are out on fall break, we're going to do like the second week of October into the first week of November. That way we get a full four weeks uh, of focusing on prayer and fasting. So this week, I was talking to Greg about it last night, so anytime now you'll see a spreadsheet that goes that gets sent out, and we can sign up for blocks. And I'm going to encourage us to do this. I love I love, obviously, prayer and fasting is of tremendous importance, and I love us taking time to create space and to do this as a family and to do this as a community, and I hope that it just maybe revitalizes even our prayer lives and stuff. If anyone's been going, man, my prayer life's been, it's been all right, that maybe this is an opportunity for us to not only pray together, but to kind of get that kick started. So excited about that. I'm, I'm really excited about this month. Um, that's not what I'm talking about today, but I am excited about it uh, because, what, how's it been? A month? Two months? We've been going through these disciplines from this book that we've been reading, uh, Faithful Presence, and uh, the discipline today is the discipline of reconciliation. So how's, how about that? I think this is a topic that's hugely important, and I think it's a topic that's very difficult to actually practice well. Um, I hope that we don't go through some of these passages and read through some of this and go, yeah, okay, yeah, reconciliation. We could, we should, we should live in reconciliation and and you know be agents of it or whatever. But then just kind of go off. But that we would actually look at opportunities, how to become, as Paul is going to say, ministers of this thing that God is doing. Um, so let's let's go to no. Let's let's let me let's pause for a second. Actually, reconciliation, that's nice. Ah, Let's go to the next slide. Before we get there, I want to say there's lots of opportunities 
in this world for reconciliation. And we know right now they got, we got this huge war going on, right? That, you think God's like, oh, that's cool, man. I love when that happens, you know? Like, it's, it's awful. It's heartbreaking. Um, sometimes we can be separate, separate f- from it and push it to the, off to the side, but no, this is real lives. I mean, this is real stuff. And it's not just in uh, Russia and Ukraine. There's wars that are taking place all over our globe. Bigger wars, small wars, different things that, are, that, 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 that we're wrestling with and that there's a need, a deep, deep need for reconciliation. Um, next slide. In America, a few years ago, we really bubbled to the surface an issue, a race issue that we have in America. And for some of us, like, I, it breaks my heart. There are some people in the church that were just, like, just cold-hearted about this. And I'm just like, my heart is going, man, if we have a God who desires reconciliation and there's a percentage of our population that is, that is hurting, how can we just go, well, get over it. <laughs> you know what? I'm just being real. What does it mean that God's kingdom is coming near for America when it comes to reconciliation? Do we have, can we do something about it? Next slide. Can we actually, this is the question I want to ask, can we actually be agents of healing, of reconciliation? Or do we just say, I don't know? Because that's, guess what? Super messy. Super difficult. See, I think we'll talk about this through this message, but sometimes we want to, if things are broken, we want to have a quick fix and say, well, we had that one meeting and we're great now. But recognizing that there's so much brokenness, all, I could go on and on and on and on with slide after slide of brokenness, but in relationships that are strained and different things like that. But we have to recognize that if we're going to participate in this with God, First, we're going to ask the question, does God desire us to? But if we are, are we actually in it for the long haul to see real reconciliation take place? Right. Uh, next slide. To go along with that, we all have our individual, <laughs> like, broken relationships, right? Uh, maybe. Maybe there's people in the room that don't, that everything is just going peachy, and, you know, <laughs> you've never had any issues with anyone, or everything's just going, fan- going fantastic, but any of us as individuals, and I show this slide because what I think happens in our culture, as we've talked about this, we struggle with conflict, and we would rather run away than deal with it, and then oftentimes it leaves us isolated because we just, I'd rather just not deal with it. And I would, I would rather not deal with it too. I think I know a few people that like conflict. You guys know a few of those folks? You're like, man, you kind of like that, don't you? I know a few. Most people don't right? Most of us do not want to go and have a conversation with someone about something that we're, hey, this bothered me. You know, even if it's something small, we freak out about it oftentimes, right? Did anybody else? Am I the only one? Like, we blow something up in our mind bigger than it, than it really is. Thanks, Holly. Thank Holly. Holly. Me and you are the same, Holly. Mm. Now let's go to the next slide, and let's think about this I'm going to go at this big kind of cosmic picture of reconciliation and then kind of get drilled down into practicalities of what that means for us. And let's start in 2 Corinthians 5, which is such a beautiful passage. I'm going to like, all right, y'all, I'm going to kind of jump through some of this because oftentimes when we talk about reconciliation, the first thing we jump to is 517. 
and it talks about being ministers of reconciliation and all this kind of different things like that. But I think that we miss this kind of really big picture that Paul's teaching. And honestly, we should probably go back several more chapters and read through this whole thing to be real. And so I'm going to try to do the best justice I can without having, you know, four messages about this, which would probably be pretty cool. <clears throat> but uh, let me actually, let me actually, I was going to go 5-1. Let's, let's go back to like 16 of 4, chapter 4, okay? Uh, so, so we do not lose heart, even though our outer nature is wasting away. We love that. Let's think about how our outer nature is wasting away, y'all. Isn't that wonderful? <sighs> let's, think it, let's meditate on the good. Our inner nature is being renewed day by day for the slight momentary affliction is preparing us, this, I love this, for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. So the affliction that's actually taking place among the Corinthians there, Paul's saying, I know it, it stinks, our outer nature is wasting away, but it's actually preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. So when you're having those afflictions and those things come your way, go read this passage and say, is this preparing me? Is this challenge that's happening in my life? Is this little suffering that I'm going to prepare me for glory beyond all measure? That's kind of hard to believe sometimes. Because we look not at what we can see, but what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but that which can, cannot be seen is eternal. Let's keep going. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands. I know some of us are going to go, what are, you talking, what, this, what are you talking about reconciliation? Let's get there. But Paul does, Paul, a tent maker, uses this language of an earthly tent. He's saying, listen, if our bodies are destroyed, then we have a building made not with human hands prepared, but by God himself. This is just an encouragement for the Corinthians, the afflictions and things that they're facing. Eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, so this is, this is the human plight. In this tent that we're in, this body that we're in right now, we're groaning, is what it says. Longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. It kind of reminds me, Seth and Jesse had their baby, if nobody, if I forgot to mention that because I wasn't here. No, it happened while I was gone. Um, I, when I think of the groaning, I just started thinking of Jesse and birth pains because it just recently happened. And just thinking of this like, ah, this thing is being birthed. And there's these pains and these groans and different things that's taking place. And Paul's kind of using this similar language. Like we're in this tent and we know everything's not right. We know that our outside is kind of wasting away. In fact, he says, if indeed we have taken it off, Hold on, let me see this. Let me go back to chapter, verse 2, I'm sorry. In this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, we, if indeed when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we're groaning, under burden, because we wish not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. We have this, this thing that we're going, man, we're not made to be like to die. Like we know that. We recognize that within ourselves. And yet there's this groaning for this body. Paul says not to die and go off in some disembodied state to heaven, but there's a groaning inside of us to be further clothed, actually, Paul says, to be clothed with immortality, to be clothed with what is. Um, what, with, with what is immoral, to be, sw I like that language, to be swallowed up by life. I love it. Chuck's got me. We're, th we're there, brother. <laughs> I love it. 
But there's this burn, the burden, this groaning that we long for this because we know things need to be set right. This is part of reconciliation I'm going to get at. There's a groaning knowing everything's not right. There's, the world's not right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. I'm, I'm going to skip through a little bit of this. Um, let's go down to, because this is where I said I'm going to have to skip a little bit because I ain't got that, that much time to go through it all. He goes on to talk about walking by faith, not by sight. In verse 10, even goes on to say, in this whole like cosmic idea of what's taking place, for all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, which that's really strong. I mean, if Paul is saying that Christ, what is he saying, Christ, where, where is, what, Christ is king? <laughs> like, the, the, in this reality, Jesus is king, and all will actually come before the judgment seat of the most just, perfect absolutely will rule with perfection king will all stand before him so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body whether good or evil so paul's paul's saying see paul's not saying like the body is evil you know we've heard this right the spirit's good all like he's saying no what we do in this fleshly body that's wasting away that we're groaning in actually matters it is not just a, well, I believe in Jesus. He actually says what you do matters. Like we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and the way that we act and the things that we do actually matter. Therefore, verse 11, knowing the fear of the Lord, so understanding that he's the, he's the, he's the king. He, uh, that's, that's, that's what Paul's saying. Like this, We have to recognize there is no higher court we can appeal to. <laughs> like This is the best, and thank God that he is on top, that he is the top of authority. Knowing the fear of the Lord, Paul, Paul says we try to persuade others. So in light of this groaning, in light of the, our, our selves wasting away, in light of the reality that our mortal can be clothed in immortality and life can swallow up death. In light of all these things, he says we try to persuade others. I like Paul. He's like, I'm not, I'm not bait and switching. Like, this is real. Like, I'm just going to tell you I'm plain. Like, we are trying to persuade others of this reality. Um, I'm going to skip through a little bit. Verse 13, he talks to the Corinthians saying, if we are beside ourselves, it's for you. If we are in our right mind, uh, I'm sorry, if we're beside ourselves, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Like Paul's saying, if people think we're crazy, you know, it's for God. People, you know, if we're in our right mind and we're teaching, we're doing these things, it's for you, Corinthians. But I love verse 14, and he says, for the love of Christ urges us on. So his desire to persuade others of this deep reality is urged on because he loves he loves. He loves others, and he loves the Lord. He's willing to look crazy for God. He's willing to be in his right mind for, for people. Like out their, His relationship with God and others, this is what love looks like. It, lo- it looks like laying down. It looks like laying, and that's what he's doing. He's, see, if we're, gonna be, if we're going to help and participate in reconciliation, it can't be about us only. It can't be just about me never going to participate in it. If we're always like, well, this person did this and that happened to this and I'm constantly on the, you know, being offended all the time, we're going to really struggle. But see, Paul says, look, I don't care. Man, I'll, I'll look crazy for God. I'll be in the right mind for you. It's God's love that's compelling us to do these things that he's going to continue to tell us to do. That's hard though. It's hard. This is tough. This, this, uh, let's, let's, let's keep going. 
Uh, verse 15 says, and again, I'm skipping around a little bit, and he died for all so that those who live, this is what love looks like, those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them, right? So he's saying that like that our new, this new life that he's going to talk about is a life uh, being laid down, a life like Christ lived. So now we kind of are getting to the reconciliation part here. But I thought it was just really important for us to recognize this great thing that Paul's talking about. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we no longer know him in that way. That's confusing, huh? What are you talking about? What I believe Paul is talking about is Paul's been releasing the reality here that there's more than just what we see here. Paul's saying, hey, listen, your flesh may be wasting away, but hey, there's hope. There's something beyond that. Paul's not saying flesh is bad, spirit is good. That's all it's going. But he's saying that he only, only knew Christ from this fleshly, in front of my face view, and many of them did. Why many of them missed what Jesus was teaching about God's kingdom coming near. Because they were looking for this physical, completely physical uh, reality whenever to Paul, that physical reality, this is super real. But there's also a reality of Christ reigning as king in his realm. And that realm is breaking through here, as we're going to see here in a second. I hope that that makes sense. That's, that's what he was, that's what's taking place. And so we know, we know Christ not just from a purely human point of view, but we understand that there's more going on now, that Christ has been resurrected. Uh, you can go to the next slide if you want to. And then he says, uh, verse 17, so if anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. I know that I've taught about this, and I know many of us have read this passage, and uh, we know probably the way that Paul is, is writing, but I've had taught to me years past, right, that this is hyper-individualistic, right, about like me and me becoming new. And Paul's saying, no, there's something that's happening in the cosmos right now. There's a groaning. There's the idea of Christ and his return and all these different things. But when someone is found, and we're trying to persuade others because of love, when someone is found in Christ, God's kingdom is breaking through and new creation is springing forth. God, as we're going to read here, is bringing reconciliation and restoration to this world. So whenever we live life surrender to the king and we proclaim the message as we talked about and, and organically and with others and they see our actions and they start to go, like, I, so I, I remember I was trying to think of a couple back whenever we did the church, remember, babe? And I won't say who this couple is, but man, someone came to me and said, they're coming to y'all's church? I can't believe that. They're, uh, they're pretty wild. And so we became friends. I understood what they were saying when I went to their Facebook profile, you know? I mean, sometimes, sometimes your Facebook profile is telling on you especially if you're looking to get a job. But no, we, we, it just, it wasn't just going to the club. It was, what, what, what are you doing in the club? <laughs> I don't know what's going on over here. Like, it was, it was a lot of brokenness going on in their lives. And I remember whenever they just, 
over time, it wasn't one day, it was just over time they started submitting themselves to the rule of Jesus. And I began to see this new creation breaking forth. I began to see lives changed. And it, you know, there were still rough patches and it was still, you know, it didn't happen to where it break, broke forth and you never did anything wrong or whatever. But to see the life transform, I said, that is what God's new creation looks like as it breaks in as it breaks in, and it changes and it transforms our life. Why is new creation taking place? Because Christ is the firstborn from the dead. He, he was the one who initiated new creation. So if we're found in Christ, then we're parts of this new creation project that God is, is doing through Christ, through his Messiah. Does that make sense? This is, it's exciting, man. This is great. I love this because our, we're invited to participate in new creation. Is it... This is, this is more exciting than Jesus died for my sins, though that's amazing and I love it and it's so true. But there's a new creation project that God has on mission throughout Murfreesboro and Tennessee and throughout the world that's breaking through. And as people submit to the rulership of the king, new creation begins to break loose and be birthed. So amazing. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. It's like when Jesus talking to Nicodemus says, you must be born again. There's something, it's not just some theology, doctrine, argument thing. Like, it's this reality. Like, there's this new birth that's taking place. And then verse 18 says, all of this is from God. I, I love that. This wasn't drummed up in human mind. This wasn't something that some people got together and cleverly figured out this cool story. He says, no, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. As, as I read this, I just, it just kept hitting me hard. Like I just kept going, God is a God of reconciliation. God is a God of reconciliation. God desires reconciliation to take place. God has been wronged and wronged and wronged and wronged, and he still chose reconciliation through his Messiah. Many of us have been wronged. And I don't know if you, you're like me. There's times where I'm like, well, well, I don't care about that person or that group of people or whatever. They wronged me. Though Israel chose, they wanted man to be king. Though men throughout history and women throughout history rejected this God. It says that even though all this took place, even though man continually rejected God as king and ruler of his life, even though all that took place, all of this is from God who reconciled to us, us to himself through Christ. Through his Messiah, he said, I don't care. I want mankind to be reconciled to me. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So Paul's saying, me and my cohorts, and we have this ministry now that God has given us. He said, listen, reconciliation is taking place. God desires man and woman to be reconciled to him and that, then he began to give over to his body this ministry now you go because he says right after that that is in christ god was reconciled man god was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses or their sins against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us and trusting this message that, hey, God's not going to kill everyone and start all over. 
that God through Messiah and through Messiah suffered and resurrected is actually desiring to have us brought near to him. And he wants us to go to tell people and live this out. <laughs> I mean, somebody, I, I don't know if anyone needs to hear that God wants to be reconciled to you, like to us. <laughs> he's not going, no, you shouldn't, and no, you did this wrong, and no, you did that. And you know, he's like, I want to be reconciled so much that I'm going to give up my Messiah, my son, so that, that, that this reconciliation and restoration pe- can begin to take place. And now us... I believe his church, his body. If, if, if Paul was good at making disciples and passing down this information that God had given them and they passed down the information that as a body we are then invited, I believe, in to be ministers of reconciliation. In verse 20, so we look at this from a, if we're not already looking at it from a kingdom perspective, we look at it from a kingdom perspective and it says, so we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. So there's a king, he is sitting on his throne, <laughs> Jesus is king, and now Paul's saying we are representatives, we're ambassadors for a kingdom, a real kingdom, not a fake kingdom, not a kingdom that's going to, you know, will happen one day, but it has nothing to do with us now. He's not, he didn't say I will be an ambassador one day. He says we are ambassadors. We are representing the kingdom now. And it's crazy because it says God is making his appeal through us. <laughs> How much does he trust us in trusting us? This is an incredible message. And he's saying, no, I trust you all. I'm entrusting you this message of reconciliation. The world can know that I'm not slamming my hammer. The world can know that I'm giving all I can to see reconciliation, birth, and new creation spring up all over this world. I'm renewing all things. And so Paul then says, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. that It's the invitation that we all have. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that that's just, we've read that verse a million times. He made him who <laughs> to be sin who did not even know sin so that in him we, plural, can become the righteousness of God. We can, we can be right and live righteously and live rightly. Whew, that's a serious message there, isn't it? So let's, come, let's take it down to a more, um, to a very practical level, if that's hard. Because I know that that's, that's big, that's cosmic. Like, oh my gosh, God's restoring all things. <laughs> He's made his ministers, what, reconciliation? What, what does that even mean? I can go away going, great, that's cool, but I mean, I don't know what I do with that, right? Um, you can go to the next slide if you want. Um, I'll get there in just one second. But one thing that I just kept hearing as I was reading through this and I was thinking through it, I was reminded of John. And John says, um, if anyone says they love God and hates his, their brother, you guys know, you guys know where, hopefully we were going. <laughs> you know, he talks about that and he says, listen, if you can't love your brother who you have seen, how in the world do you think you can love God who you haven't seen? He actually says you're a liar. He says you're a liar if you don't love your brothers, your sisters. And I think that can be applicable to what we're talking about today. To go, if we are to be ministers of reconciliation, we have to live reconciliation together. And it's hard. It's, it's, it's tough. 
I'm sure there's probably people going, oh my gosh, there's this person. John's going to make me go talk to him. I'm not going to make you do anything. (laughs) But how can we proclaim a message of reconciliation if we're not able to live out reconciliation? And when we, as we learn to live out reconciliation, then we can then be agents of reconciliation to others that are broken and relationships that are broken and all these different things like that. So go to the next slide. Uh, let's look at Matthew 5.21. We'll look at two passages fairly quickly, and then we'll be done. But I wanted to get to this very practical application of this, I think, um, yeah, and, and I, wanna, I just want to reiterate how difficult this is. <laughs> is any, it's, 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 it's tough. And I'm as guilty as anyone of screwing this up. Can I admit that? Uh, I'm sure I've screwed it up here among brothers and sisters that I, that I love here. Matthew 5, 21. I'm going to start here, there, so that we can have some context for this other part. So you, you have heard, this is Jesus He's giving this kind of speech that's saying, this is what my kingdom looks like. And he says all these challenging words about so many things. And at this point, he says, you've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. That's challenging for <laughs> Jesus. Jesus says, you know, if, if you're angry with a brother, what I, what I love about this is I believe that Jesus is saying that you can be in a place where you don't. And if you do, then you can seek, as we're going to see, reconciliation between your brother and sister. So this is in the context of us being frustrated, being angry. Let's be real. I'm mad. I'm mad at this brother or sister. So, that's when he says, so when you are offering a gift. So what happens when you're upset with a brother or sister? Are you just supposed to get over it? No, I I think Jesus gives us kind of a prescription for some things that that he desires for us to do. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Let's, Let's stop there for just a second. Um, We don't offer sacrifices, so I'll, I'll try to put this in modern context, maybe, or illustration the best I can. You're uh, driving to church on Sunday morning, and, and you've got your uh, praise hat on. You're ready to raise your hands, and glory to God. You've got, you got, you got a little check in your pocket, too. You're thanking God for the money that he's given you, and you're going to put a little bit in that offering. And on the way, you recognize it actually doesn't say that you have an issue with someone else. What does it say? You recognize someone's got an issue with you. Right. That a brother says has something against you. Jesus doesn't say, well, if you were right, you need to go talk to him. He didn't say if you were in the right, then everything's cool. He says if you're on your way and you're planning to offer this and you're ready to come, he says leave your gift First, go be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. What does this tell you about God's, the value God places on reconciliation? 
See, because we would say in our highly individualized culture, I'm praising God, glory to God, I love you, God, I'm giving my offering, man, I'm taking communion, I'm doing my thing. And he's like, no. You know what's more important? Is that you and your brother or you and your sister are actually reconciled together. So that means, and if we really begin to look at it as we are the body of Christ, we begin to recognize that that's, that's a necessary reconciliation that has to take place. God desires us, we sang today, he desires for us to walk in unity. He desires for us to do this. And again, I'm going to say it over and over and over again, it doesn't come easily. Anyone, anyone probably screwed that up? Anyone screwed up? A relationship? Anyone screwed up? I mean, I'm sure there's countless things I go, well, I did that wrong with that person. I did this wrong with that person. I shouldn't have said it that way. I shouldn't have acted this way. And I've been super guilty because it's so much easier to go, yeah, I'm done. And I thank God for people in my life who have even challenged me. (laughs) Anyone been challenged to say, hey, are you sure you're done? Is that really what God desires? Let's go to the last thing, Matthew chapter 18. Next slide. Next slide. There you go. I'm bringing this up because I love how Jesus shares how for us very practically to practice reconciliation. And I, was, I, I love like early on being here at Stones River. I remember vividly that someone had come to John and said they had a problem with somebody. And he said, well, have you talked to them about it yet? And I thought, oh my gosh, you practice that? <laughs> Because we don't very often, right? Like it was someone who came to an elder shepherd who had a, had a problem, and, and it, usually that's the way the problems get solved, right? We, we let that happen. But I remember when he said that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's Matthew 18. People actually do that. Matthew eighteen fifteen. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. I'm going to use, Brian, can I, can I use, an, I'll use an example. Remember the, so early on at me being at, hopefully you don't care, but it's, it's you in a positive light, me in a bad light, all right? So we're all good. Early on at Stones River, uh, pretty early on, first year or two or something like that, I remember that I, I preached a message and the way I said something was not good. It was not the best. <laughs> um... And for anyone who speaks publicly, ever, you realize sometimes you just say things you don't even mean to say. Like, I, I mean, there's, you, you don't remember a, a verse, you say this was Luke who's saying it, and it was Matthew, or you, you know what I mean, you, you just do it. There's, I remember preaching a sermon here calling Haman Mordecai and Mordecai Haman, and that's horrible. One guy was pretty evil, one guy was pretty good. <laughs> like, but I remember recognizing, oh, and I kept recognizing myself say it after I said it. I'm like, dang it, what am I doing? And so what I really loved was having this. They said, hey, can we talk? And we went into that room over there, and him and Jen, and we sat down. And they said, hey, they were so gracious. They said, hey, John, we heard you say this, and they didn't rail into me. Well, you shouldn't have done that, and you didn't do this, and you didn't do that. They said, this is what we heard you say. Is this what you meant to say? And I remember saying, is that what I said? (laughs) And Jen was like, yes. I'm not arguing with Jen, all right? There's some people I might argue with. She kind of scares me. I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> and uh, and I said, you know, I I believe you that I said that, and I'm apologize. I mean, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said it that way. That was a mistake. And we hugged each other, and we are great friends. And I think uh, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> that's my feeling towards you guys. <laughs> We go eat Mexican together and stuff. That's really good. Um, but I remember walking out of the room, and I remember going, I am so thankful that they didn't do what I might have done. Because I've pra- anyone practiced this before? I remember, you ever have an issue, like, I could see it. Like, the first thing I might probably do is go talk to someone else and go, hey, Brandon, did you see what John King, did you hear what he said that Sunday? And you're like, yeah. I'm like, D- he shouldn't have said it that way, should he, Brandon? No, I, I, that's that's wrong. And then then Brandon goes and talks to Brian or whomever or, or the persons. And then what ends up happening is it becomes a big thing, and you're like, oh my gosh, like now we got to talk to the shepherds about it. <laughs> and then all it was was a misunderstanding that could have been simply dealt with, and instead it's become this big thing. And I'm thankful to you guys, that you allow the grace of, of that taking place. And, and I've failed to extend that grace to people. And I say that publicly. Like, there's times whenever I've done the exact opposite. I've gone and talked about people behind their back. I've gone and gone directly, not followed this at all. And I've screwed up relationships because of it. I've made things a bigger deal than they really had to be. But Paul, Jesus is saying, let's just, let's just go back to simplicity. But this is hard. Does anyone like to have, if they have an issue with someone, like to bring it up? Anyone actually enjoy it? <laughs> Maybe. There, Georgia, you're, I mean, that's, there are some people that don't, it's not, a cha- it's not as big of a challenge. And I have, I have two friends. I think Greg's kind of like that. We can talk about him because he's not here. Justin's really like that. I tell him that all the time. I'm like, Justin, you just love controversy, don't you? Oh, don't, John. I'm like, yeah, but you're kind of smiling. You know, you're, you don't. He's like, I love, the, I love fixing it, which I do think that's his heart. Like, he likes to hit the nail on the head, and he's going to hit that nail with an anvil or whatever it takes to drive that thing down. But besides that, most of us, it, is, it stinks. I don't want to go and, and talk to my wife. Let's just be like that and talk to my wife about an issue that I have in our marriage. Because what's going to usually, what typically is a response because we struggle with conflict, wall up, fight, let's, let's go. Let's throw to blows. But Jesus tells us to do it. I also don't believe Jesus is talking about being nitpicky. We can go to one extreme where you're like, i tell you what. You know, whenever we sing, I just don't like the way Mike puts his hand in the air. It just gets in the way of, the, of that, you know, or, or whatever. Maybe you could have a conversation with Mike about that, you know. You know, whenever you eat, you just, you just really chew loudly, you know. <laughs> Maybe there's a place for some of that. But I don't know if Jesus is saying nitpick your brothers and sisters all the time and constantly go to them and go, I have a problem with this, a problem with that. But there are real issues that do need to be talked about, that you do need to bring up. And it says, go and point out, this is the fault, when the two of you are alone. So don't make a big deal about it. Don't make a production. Maybe it's really not that big of a deal. Maybe it's a misunderstanding. Maybe it's not. Maybe they really wronged you. What happens when they don't listen? Like that's that's another thing. Like many of us, I think there's plenty of us who have 
probably at least attempted reconciliation and it didn't go super well. Anybody ever done that? Like, I'm just trying to make this work. Uh, They just receive it poorly, horribly, and now what do you do? And Jesus doesn't say, go and shout it on a megaphone and post it on Facebook to stir up controversy. I wonder if he would have referenced social media or Facebook these days. (laughs) If he might have said, don't post it on social media. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. Great. But if you're not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Uh, simple practice. Uh, if, it's, if it's not going super well, why don't you get a few people who can be more objective? Maybe you're in the wrong. Maybe you don't even realize it. Maybe there's some things that you need to change. Let's get a few brothers and sisters around us. Let's have this conversation. Let's, again, not make it a grand production. But this is what I love. The, the point is to see reconciliation take place, right? It's not a formula just to, just to, well, we did this. Have you ever been, we've checked off the boxes. Anyone been part of a church that did that, you know? I, I, went, to, I went to you by myself. Okay, we brought a couple people. They were all on my side. We checked that box off. Now we're going to publicly stand you in front of the church and shame you, you know? None of that is, is, is driven towards that. It is God who desires for us to walk in unity with one another, helping us learn how to deal with relationships because relationships are hard, right? It's so hard. They're so hard. The question is, is it worth it? Are, these, are the relationships valuable enough for us? Do we really value? I think, I think it's hugely important. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. This isn't, I don't believe, public shame fest. (laughs) And I know churches who will skip from doing anything and just stand someone up in front of the church and say, you need to repent of your sin, blah, 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 blah. I haven't even really, the conversation you had one-on-one was them telling you what to do. Anyone ever experienced that or know someone that did? There was no trying to seek understanding like Brian and Jen tried to seek understanding. There was no, none of that. It was just, this is the way it is. But what this reveals to me is that God desires the church to participate in reconciliation. Like this should be a practice of who we are. So much so to where there's times whenever we're all involved because it affects us all. It's not just something that's, that we can sweep under the rug or whatever, but that the idea of reconciliation being that important that it is a discipline of us as a body. This is hard, man. It's so easy to preach this stuff, but it's hard whenever we decide that like it's time like for us to help to walk in practicing these things. And I believe that as we learn how to walk in this one with one another, then we are offering something to others that get to see this modeled out. Like, wow, you guys argued about that quite a bit. I mean, Paul and Barnabas split ways. They're on mission with God. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Someone's going to get in a fight with someone about something. Someone's going to misunderstand something. something someone's going to sin against someone. It's going to happen. The thing I love about that story is I believe in later letters it looks as though they had reconciled together. They had reconciled. Like it was, it was a split. They got in a fight. But I think that they, I think Paul and I think Barnabas and John Mark, I think they probably understood 
And this is not probably best. Even though we're on mission, we're going and doing these things, God does desire for that to take place. And as we live these lives of reconciliation, then I'm going to encourage us to also be intentional about being agents of reconciliation in our city, among others. For example, if you, you know, we see the slide um, earlier about the racial issues that we have here in America, like you may go, well, what can I do about that? You may feel helpless. I would say one of the very first simplest things to do is become really good friends with the other race. <laughs> I think a lot of other people haven't experienced that. I think a lot of people haven't experienced that. It's kind of what Greg talked about on the margins, you know, whatever, different, like when people, you know, when there's conflict, let's befriend, let's get to know, let's understand. Like I did not understand the plight of black people in America until I became friends with a bunch of black people. <laughs> Can I just be real? Like it's easy to go, eh, that's, that's bogus, that's the media, whatever. But then whenever I get to experience and see firsthand some ways that people, the things they say, the ways that they're treated, I go, oh, shoot, this is for real. <laughs> I thank God that I was in my, like, 20 when, whenever I begin to really go, okay, there's something here. But then I can get mad at the man, and we can fight and all those things, or we can say, no, how can we begin to bring reconciliation? And I believe that the best, the best way is through relationships. It's through building relationships with people. It, then we begin to understand. Then we begin to see those things. And what if the church becomes a place where we're walking in unity together? We still have our fights. We still have some arguments, but we're reconciling. But we're also going into the world going, where is the brokenness? Where, where are the places that need reconciliation? And we're actually at the forefront of leading the way <laughs> instead of kind of on the back burner pointing fingers at people. And then we can invite, we can now, invite others to say, be reconciled to God. God desires healing. God desires restoration. God desires, you know, this new creation bursting forth, and this is what it actually looks like. But with the words that we speak, we actually live it out, and we couple those things together, and I think we have something very, very powerful. All right, that's it. Let's pray. Father, uh, I express the difficulty of being a body of believers as being your body and you giving your body this ministry of reconciliation. I, I'm blown away that you're entrusting us with this, but I do understand that there's a lot, especially here in America, the ways that we've dealt with things, the ways, I, and I'm 100% guilty, there's, it's difficult and I know it's really difficult when we seek restoration and the other party doesn't want to. And I didn't talk about that, Lord, but I'll talk about it in my prayer like a good preacher does. <laughs> uh, Lord, there's times whenever we do have to, to let go. It doesn't mean that we hate the person. It doesn't mean that we uh, think ill. When we've done everything that we possibly can, Lord, we give that to you. And so, Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room, I, just, I don't know why I feel like this, but if there's anyone in this room that has done everything to restore a relationship and it's just not happening, that, Lord, that you would remove the guilt of that if they're experiencing guilt, God. Lord, for those of us who haven't, on the other side of it, maybe have not extended the grace of trying to reconcile or 
doing it the way that, that you would desire through deep relationship, Father. I pray that you would give us the, uh, I don't know, the, the boldness, the drive, whatever, I don't know the exact right words for us to actually do that. For us to leave this place and go have the cup of coffee that we know we should have had, that we haven't, or have the phone call, or whatever it may be. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would reveal to us areas in our country, areas in our city, where we can, Lord, lead the way to bring healing to uh, people groups, to bring healing across socioeconomic groups, Lord, to bring healing where healing needs to take place, that we would become true agents of that, and that you would give us the wisdom and understanding that we wouldn't rush into it like a bunch of goofs, but that you would give us the wisdom and understanding on how to actually do it and do it well. We want to see your new creation bursting forth on this world, in this world. We want to see the nearness of your kingdom here in our city, and we want to be agents of that. Um, Thank you for your grace as we do it, as we attempt it. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.